Hey, thank you, Kevin and Greg, for leading us this morning. It's good to see you guys. Good morning. And uh, welcome to our online audience, those uh, watching on Facebook now or tuning in later, especially if you're on Facebook Live right now, we encourage you to, to like, to heart. Uh, do you heart on Facebook? I guess you do. Heart. Um, right? All of a sudden, I had a mind blank. Anyhow, we'd love to have you engaged there, and thanks for being with us, and thanks to you for being here in the room this morning. Well, we are back in this series called Follow Me, and I want to start this morning by talking about my family a little bit. My extended family lives, when I was younger, lived primarily in Connecticut, and I did not. And every now and then, we'd go up there and travel to see them in Connecticut. And as we would go up there, one of the things I learned about my family is there was kind of a little running joke about something called the marble top table in my family. The marble top table was actually a um, table about yay wide, you know, two, two and a half feet wide, and not too, not too deep, foot and a half, two feet deep. And it had, as you would guess, a marble top to it. And it just held curios in the hallway in one of my grandmother's um, upstairs hallways. The reason the marble top table became a conversation piece is because at some point in history, my grandmother and grandfather created their will. And then after their will was completed, then they bought the marble top table. Thus, a conversation with all of my uncles and aunts about, oh, who's going to get the marble top table because that's not in the will. And then it became just a running joke. I don't even think it was all that valuable, but every time that someone would miss, like, um, you know, a Thanksgiving or not eat seconds of the bad food that was served, it was always like, hey, Doug, you want some more of that? You're not going to get the marble top table. It just always became this thing that was joked about actually for years. Whenever someone would help, my grandparents, they would get like points for the marble top table, and whenever people wouldn't show up or couldn't help, then they would get, you know, demerits on the marble top table, you know, contest. I don't actually know how the whole thing worked out, but here's what I do know, that the marble top table, as funny as it was for my family, actually serves as a great metaphor for life for all of us, that each of us has our own marble top tables, if you will, that each of us realizes that there are some things, there are some things in life that we are not going to be able to get. There are times in life when we realize, I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out, I'm going to run out, or I'm going to lose out on something. And so I want to ask the question this morning, what should I do? What should I do when I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out, I'm going to run out, or I'm going to lose out on life? Now, you may not have walked in this morning with that question fresh on your mind, but I would argue that we all live with that question with alarming regularity. What are you going to do if you're going to miss out on love? <laughs> what do you do if you're going to run out of money or run out of time or run out of opportunity? What are you going to do if you lose out even this week? Some feel that you've lost out on power or influence, even in our nation. What are you going to do when you're going to run out of opportunities, miss out on relationships with people, or you're going to lose out for the things that you actually really, really want? How is it that you engage your faith and your world, your family, when you're afraid, and when I'm afraid, that things aren't going to break our way? Now, here's what we know. We know that we must face our fears because we only conquer what we face, but my question this morning is how? We already know that you can't conquer what you don't face, so that's not the issue. You know you have to face your fear. I know that. The question this morning is how? And Jesus, as he walked the planet, he had a conversation with someone. It was a, it was a very impromptu conversation as he was walking through the countryside. Someone shouted at him as he was walking along. And as this gentleman shouted at him, Jesus took the moment to pause 
have a conversation, tell a story, and draw some parallels and principles to life. And this is the story that I want to get into with you this morning, and it deals with this issue that we all live with. The reality that there's maybe only one marble top table, there's four of us vying for it, and there's limited resources, limited opportunities, limited relationships, limited influence, limited power. Not everybody gets it all. And when you think you're on the short end of that stick, how are you going to react? Jesus engages that issue this morning. So I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 12, it's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, kind of the right two-thirds of your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, the Bible in the pews are gift to you at home or online. If you're watching, you can feel free to open up version or whatever else you want to do on your app or Bible Gateway or something else online or just your own uh, physical Bible that you have right there. But Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be reading from the New International Version. I'm going to start at verse 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. As Jesus is walking along through the countryside, essentially, someone in the crowd, verse 13, said to him, you just imagine him with his disciples walking through town, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus stops. His little caravan, he's walking along, he just stopped. He said, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, we're going to pause it right here. What happens here is fascinating. This man stops Jesus in his, in his tracks and says, Jesus, I want, you, I want you to tell my brother to give me the inheritance that is due me. Now, the truth is, the Old Testament law that would have governed these situations was pretty clear. There's not a lot of ambiguity. The inheritance could have been, um, you know, split up in a number of ways. But the issue for this man isn't that he wasn't clear on the law. It's just that he wanted Jesus on his side. He didn't want clarity on the law. He just wanted Jesus to take his side so that he could push more chips in on the table about why he was going to get what he was going to get. But Jesus is smarter than that, of course, and he asks a follow-up question, and he kind of pushes into it. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter? I'm not a judge or an arbiter, and even if I was, and here's where Jesus is brilliant, he brings up the big issue. The big issue in the room is the issue of greed in this man's heart, but also the issue of greed in his brother's heart. His brother was unwilling to share the inheritance with him, and this man wanted the inheritance. And so both, both brothers are dealing with a heart of greed. Both brothers are saying, there's limited resources, and I want them, and I'm not going to share them with you. To which Jesus makes a statement, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, I have to ask this question as we set up this morning. I've asked myself this question. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been this man? Have you ever been this man? Have you ever been this man who, if you can imagine Jesus walking through the countryside of your life, have you ever wished that you could say to him and his little caravan of disciples, hey, hey, Jesus, I want you to judge for me on this. Listen, my family has a terminal disease, and I'm struggling with this, and I want you to bring fairness and equity to my life. Jesus, will you please settle this for me? Jesus, listen, this isn't fair that the pandemic has hit us this way. I need you to resolve this for me. Jesus, I think we're going to run out of money, and it's not fair that they have more than I have, and I don't understand why my family is struggling here. Jesus, hang on. I need you to resolve this for me. I want you to bring fairness and equity to my life. Hold on. It isn't fair. It isn't right. My marriage isn't what it should be. My kids aren't what they should be. Jesus, I want you to bring some kind of equity and fairness to me. Hang on. While you're walking through here, can you please come on my side and bring things the way that I need them to be brought? Have you ever been this man? 
Have you ever asked this question to Jesus? Not about your inheritance or not even about the marble top table, but about something, relationships, finances, health, future, past, disappointment, disillusionment. Jesus, I want you to bring fairness and equity to me, to which Jesus says, hold on, hold on. Before you ask that question, and before you step into that, I want you to understand what's going on inside your heart, to which he says to the man, he says, whoa, be on your guard, be alert, be on your guard. <laughs> like, oh, what's the danger? And Jesus goes on, he says this, against all kinds of greed. Now, you know what greed is, and I know what greed is, essentially, just wanting more and more regardless of need. I just want more and more. I want more than you. You want more than me. It's this, this greedy thing. We get that. But he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in abundance of possessions. That word life there, in verse 15, there's a variety of words in the New Testament that are used for life. This word for life means essentially um, that which is truly life, the, the exciting, the um, motivating, the passionate, the little pleasures that we get when we have, ooh, a little burst of energy. I get them, and maybe you get them when I get things. Right now, currently in my life, I have a new phone in the mail, evidently, coming to me. When I get that phone, there will be a little bit of a, oop, a little bit of a, this is cool. This is a new thing. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to look at the engineering of it. I'm going to take some pictures with it because I think it's going to be a better camera than what I currently have. I'm going to definitely rub it in my kids' faces and say, I have a better phone than you do now. I mean, I'm just going to take the moment in, right? And this is that, that life, that little, ooh. Now, in a month or two, It'll just be a phone. Like, it'll be a paperweight. Like, I'm, when I read, I put my phone on the Bible or on my commentaries that I read, and they hold the paper down. And I'm just going to have a more expensive paperweight in a couple of months. And, like, I know that's true. But that is that thing that Jesus talks about here, life. That little energy, that little, mm, this is what you think life is all about. These constant little infusions of energy that you get when you get new things. And Jesus said, don't be deceived as if life is a constant purchase of new phones that you must have a new, a new, a new, a new, a new, whatever it is. And greed isn't just physical things, it's also relational things. It's also social and emotional things. You know, and I know, people use relationships like they use phones. I'm going to use you to fill a need that I have, and when I'm done with you, I'm going to leave you and go somewhere else. I'm going to get a new rush from somebody else. And Jesus is saying, don't be greedy in that regard either. That greed covers the gamut. And he's saying, be, be careful, because it can happen that life can consist in an abundance of possessions, chasing these small little infusions of life that you think really give you energy in life. He says, listen, Life is bigger than that. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then he goes on to tell the story. He goes on to tell the story in verse 16. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Then he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, well, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. And let's look at what's going on in this story. Here's the parable. There's this rich man, he gets an abundant harvest, and he has options. This, honestly, he makes a good business decision. 
because he has options with an abundant harvest. If you sell your abundant harvest, the, the law of supply and demand says you're going to sell low. You don't want to sell low because if you can store and sell the same things high later, it makes more sense to do that. And this is what this guy does from a business standpoint. He says, I'm going to make a greater profit later. And what he's going to do then is he's going to, the net impact of that on subsistence farmers, the daily workers, is that he's going to pull grain from the local economy. He's going to pull work opportunities. He's going to pull food opportunities. He's going to create a food insecurity. And he's going to build bigger barns, and he's going to hoard and hold so that later, when he sells next year, he can build his business greater. The impact of that on real people in his community will be great loss but he will experience great gain. It makes sense from an economic standpoint, but it doesn't make sense from a kingdom standpoint. And Jesus puts it up and says, look at this. Look at what happens. And he goes on to say, this man, verse 19, he says, I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That word for I'll say to myself, and some of your translations might say, I say in my soul. Here's what's happening. That word means it's your innermost part of your soul. The place where this man maybe didn't even verbalize this or say it out loud. It's that place where we take action before we can even verbalize it. It's the instinct of, oh, when I see that, <laughs> that number come up on caller ID, the instinct of, I don't think I'm going to answer that person. It's just that instinct of that's what's going on inside the soul. That is the word here for what's going on with this man. His instinct, his first reaction is, I'm going to just be for myself. I'm going to be for myself. To which then Jesus says to him, but God said to him, verse 20, you fool. Now, you fool is not just a name calling. He's just not name calling. He's saying a fool in the biblical sense is someone who considers their actions without considering God. So in the innermost part of his being, he's just by default considering himself, but he hasn't allowed God to come into that innermost part. When that phone rings and it's that person, he doesn't even think, would God want me to engage it? He's like, I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to. It's that inner part that doesn't include God, to which when we act in that space without considering God, we act like a fool. And that's the biblical idea. And so this is what this man does. In that inner part, he's like, nah, I'm just going to get more for me. Like, that's just how I'm going to function. To which Jesus says in this story here in verse 20, this very night, and he says, this very night, your life which is the same word in verse 19 as when we see that I'll say to myself, it's that same word for soul, your life will be demanded from you. That the very inner part of who you are, your very life will be demanded from you. You will be bankrupt. You will, in this case, you will die. Okay, now, so, so here's the story. He goes on. So, so we have this problem. We have this problem of people wanting and all of us wanting this instinct of taking care of ourselves. Because if there's four people vying for the marble top table, there's only one table available. And we know that that is reality. There cannot be four distributions of one thing. So that's the problem. Now, what's the solution? Verse 22. Jesus then said to his disciples, therefore, he's summarizing this. Jesus keeps talking. He's bringing all this to a conclusion. Therefore, I tell you, he says, do not worry. This is the first of three, maybe four times that he uses this word in the next several verses. Therefore, he says, do not worry. This is so important to understand. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, our greed is fueled by worry. 
Our greed is fueled by anxiety. Our greed is fueled by a fear that we're going to run out. And so when I'm selfish in my relationships with you, when I want just an exclusive relationship with you, when I'm selfish in my material possessions and what I have, when I'm selfish in my influence, wanting to use it that I can benefit myself, maybe to the detriment or even not caring about you, when I have these greed feelings, what is underneath that is I'm actually worried. Jesus says, therefore, what I want you to know is don't, don't worry. Don't worry. That's the fuel of greed. Don't, don't worry. He says, go on. Don't worry about your life what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow nor reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And then how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, and here's our word again, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Then he goes on, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And then I love verse 29. Do not set your heart. Here's this idea of the innermost part of our being. Don't set your heart, the inner part of who you are. Don't take that and set it on what you will eat or drink do not, again, worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Now, this is really good advice. This is really great advice about don't worry about this and don't worry about that. But it's almost as if, I think, and I'm not in Jesus' mind, but I wonder if it's almost as if he's standing there and wants to give a little bit more to help people, his disciples, even maybe the man who asked the question, can you please have my brother split the inheritance with me? I think he wants to give him a little bit more because don't worry is good, but it's also what not to do. It doesn't really answer the question of what to do. What I shouldn't do is not worry. It's difficult to get up and just not worry. It's possible, but it's difficult to just not do something. What can I do positively to fight off this greed? To which I think Jesus then summarizes and gives a positive action step beginning in verse 32. He says this, Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, little flock, which is an extension of worry. Don't be afraid, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Verse 33, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. You should know. This idea of generosity, this idea of giving, this idea especially of giving to the poor. For you and me, you might think this just sounds normal. This might just sound Christian. Like this is just what Christians have done all the time, isn't it? Is give to the poor? The answer is no. This is new. In the Roman world in which there was um, very reciprocal relationships, you don't give to the poor. You give to people who are like you, who can give back to you. And so if we share the same socioeconomic level, I will give to you so that our relationship will be strengthened. But when I give you a $50 Red Robin gift card for Christmas, I'm going to expect that you'll remember that, and you will also give me one back, either at my birthday or the next Christmas. I'm going to give to you, but there's going to be a reciprocation of that, and that is going to be our way of showing value and support to one another. This idea of giving to the poor is new 
in Jesus' time. It has become normal for Christians, but make no mistake, it is not historically normal. You don't give to an economic class below you because they cannot give back to you. Therefore, you essentially dishonor them by showing them, I gave you a $50 Red Robin gift card. I know you can't even give me a $5 one. But in receiving it, what they will feel is a weight of expectation that they cannot meet, and it doesn't feel right to put that on them, so I'm not going to give it to them. To which Jesus changes all of that dynamic. and says, I want you to see, in saying give to the poor, I want you to see everybody, regardless of socioeconomic background, as your neighbor and as your peer, as someone that you would give normally to. I want you to give, and specifically to the poor. I want you to invite in the people who don't have the relational network that you have, the people that don't have the financial network that you have. I want you to invite them into your life. I want you to give to the poor in that sense. Very, very new teaching from Jesus' standpoint. It has become normal for Christians, but it is because of what Jesus does here. He goes on. The end of verse 33 continues. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which brings us back to the man who raised the question at the beginning. See, his heart was on the treasure of the inheritance. He asks the question, Jesus, please have my brother split this with me, because that is the treasure to be had. To which Jesus simply reminds us, where your treasure is, what you find the most valuable, what you are looking forward to the most, is going to be where your heart is. If life becomes, for you or for me, a pursuit of never-ending new phone purchases, where the rush of the purchase of new things, or the rush of a relationship that's new, or the rush of new influence, where it becomes a never-ending cycle of endless pursuit of things and people and resources that we burn through, that's where our heart will be. To which we have to ask the question again, if we put it this way, what then should I do when I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out, run out, or lose out? And Jesus helps us here so much. As we think back on this story, I want to suggest two things. First of all, I want to encourage you and encourage me. The beginning, be honest. Are you this man? Have you ever been this man shouting to God? Have you ever been this person that has walked through life with Jesus and just kind of raised the hand, God, will you please make my marriage better? Will you please make my family like that family? Because I think they have a better family, and I don't know why you're making my husband. My husband is such a beep, 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 and my wife is such a beep, beep, beep. Like, I just wish things were different. God, I know that we have a health problem that other people just simply aren't facing, and I need to figure out how can you help me walk this? This doesn't, doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Like, uh, there's other people who have things that we simply don't have, and I, I just want to raise my hand and say, this isn't right. Like, this isn't fair. What are we going to do, God? I, I'm afraid that we're going to lose out. We're going to lose out on influence. Even this week, we'll, we'll name that. Maybe you're afraid you're going to lose out on influence in the nation or in our community. I'm afraid I'm going to lose out on that. I'm afraid that your kingdom might be threatened. I'm afraid I'm going to lose out. What do I do with that? To which Jesus reminds us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He reminds us of two kingdoms. He reminds us of different ways of seeing the world. Just be honest, be honest. Have you ever shouted that to God? Have you ever raised that issue with God? And if so, here's what Jesus will say. Fight your anxiety with generosity. 
fight your anxiety with generosity. That the anxiety around what will be, what you might lose out, or what you think we might lose out on, or miss out on, or run out of, the way to fight that anxiety, that anxiety-fueled fear, or anxiety-fueled greed, the way to fight that anxiety is with generosity. You already know that's true. You've already seen that happen. Because you know that if you're afraid of running out of money, if you're afraid you're not going to have the resources, you know that no matter how much money you make, there will always be something more to be afraid of missing out on. You know this is true if you've ever seen a raise in your salary in over the years. If you are making more now than you were a year, two, five, or ten years ago, you know that the things you worried about ten years ago, now you don't worry about, but there are new things that you worry about now that you didn't worry about ten years ago because those needs are met, that our desire, our needs, so to speak, our desires always extend past what we actually really need. To which Jesus says, don't chase that life. That isn't where you need to go. So fight your anxiety with generosity, meaning this, not just financial, but generosity can be seen this way. Generosity can be expressed in finances. It can be expressed in prayer, in time, in reputation, in words, in acts of service. Meaning this, that right now, some of us, we just need to be generous in our prayers. We need to be generous in our prayers for the people who lead our country. We need to be generous in our prayers for the people who serve in our schools. We need to be generous in our prayers for the people who are making difficult decisions about how organizations are run, how families are engaged, how kids are taught and learned. We need to be generous in our time. I mean, sometimes you might be, you know, I need to go sit and learn and listen. Why would someone think this way or this way? The generosity of time with someone who works for you, who comes in tomorrow morning at work, they are devastated at the results of what happened over the past, you know, weekend, the past several days. Or they are exuberant and can't contain their excitement. Generous with your time to know how to manage that. Generous with your reputation. You know people and have influence that other people simply don't have. How can your reputation be lent in generosity to the people around you who don't have as much? who, if you will, are poor in regard to what you have. Your words, even sending a Facebook message, a text to someone to encourage, to, to make note of them, acts of service, way to help and serve one another. These acts of generosity, not just giving money, although that may be a part of what you might need to do, but it's not the whole thing. It is a, it is a total effort to fight anxiety with generosity, to say my life in the places where I am most afraid that I'm going to run out, I'm going to miss out, or I'm going to lose out, that's where I need to be the most generous. Don't be afraid, little flock, Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Sell your possessions. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. The people around you who don't have the resources, the opportunities, the network that you have, give to those folks. Why would you do this? Why would you consider this especially if you're afraid you're going to run out. And here's why. That generosity helps us live in God's kingdom, not on our own. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, how does one seek the kingdom? Generosity is one of those ways that helps us seek the kingdom. There's only one marble top table, and only one of four of my uncles and aunts were going to get it. That's the reality. And for you and for me, there are limited resources all over the place. Limited people to date, limited jobs to have, limited money to have, limited influence. For what you have, let me encourage you, in the words of Jesus, when that man raises his hand and says, Jesus, I want more, I want you to give me more, he says, be on your guard, be on your guard, watch out, watch out, be careful of all manifestations of greed. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Fight, Jesus, fight, anxiety with generosity.
in giving of your time, resources, energy, which is exactly, is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's how we even enter the kingdom. So this is what Jesus is encouraging us to do, encouraging you to do. If you're afraid you're going to miss out, run out, lose out, where can you give? Where can you serve? Who can you write? Who can you connect with? That we can live in the kingdom of God, even when we're afraid that we're going to run out. All right, next week we're going to talk about another topic, small little thing about how small things, incredibly small things, might make a powerful, powerful difference in someone's life. All right, will you pray with me this morning? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together around your word and around this story, around this moment in Jesus' life where this man walks through the countryside, runs into Jesus, asks this question, and Jesus probes into the depths of all of our hearts where we're afraid, and we are afraid that the relationships we have might run out at some point or we may never get where we want to go, that the jobs we have or wish we had or the health that we have or wish we had or the finances we have or wish we had, all of these limited resources press on us. They push us to want to grab for ourselves in the innermost parts of our being. And so I pray that you would help us to see this, to be on our guard that as people of faith, people who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be generous during this season, especially. We can be generous with our words, generous with our time, our acts of service, our resources, our influence, so that the kingdom of God can be seen by all around us during this time especially. Help us to be on our guard and to love and serve you well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.